All right, Aaron, are you ready to play a game with me? Of course. I'm going to give you three movie quotes, and you have to try to figure out what movie I'm going to be talking about in today's episode. Are you ready? Are they all from the same movie? All from the same movie. So we'll see how many quotes it takes for you to get it. I only have three. So if it's after three, we'll just figure it out. <laughs> so after three, I'm in trouble. Here we go. Number one. The video arcade is down the street. Here we just sm- sell small rectangular objects. They're called books. They require little effort on your part and make no beep, 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 beeps on, on your way, please. Is it the page master? No, but you're, you're, you're in the right realm. Number two. Never give up and good luck will find you. Oh, I have no idea. Last one. Okay. This, this has the name of a character in it, so hopefully you'll get this one. Bastion made many other wishes and had many amazing adventures until he came back to the real world. But that's another story. The never-ending story. Well done. Thank you. me your host Emily I am glad you're here so this is season two where we're talking about 80s and 90s kids movies we grew up loving and sometimes fearing next to Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal I think maybe this one is the one that scared me the most as a kid I mean a horse dies a wolf-like creature stalks across the land to kill our hero there's topless sphinxes that shoot lasers out of their eyes it's memorable to say the least yes today we're talking about the never-ending story But before we get into all of that, let's dive into some lazy internet research. Are you ready? So Noah Hathaway, the actor who played Atreyu, was hired for the job after a nationwide search, but then was let go and forced to re-audition again when they switched directors. I mean, that's an interesting choice to do. I mean, I guess they would want the, the next director to have a say. Do directors have a say in who's cast? I would assume they do. But man, for a kid, that'd have to be a roller coaster of a ride, kind of an emotional roller coaster of, I have this job. No, you don't. Wait a second. Yeah, no, you do. There's just a lot. Said he built, beat out like over 50,000 um, kids who auditioned, which is pretty impressive. Voice actor Alan Oppenheimer, he brought to life Falcor, Gmork, Rockbiter, and the narrators. They really put him to work. Pretty impressive. You might also know him as Skeletor on He-Man and Warpath on Transformers. He did a lot of cartoon voice acting. Um, his his um, IMDb filmography was pretty impressive. Falcor was basically a marionette pet puppet. It took about 15 people to move the luck dragon. Each had strings to use, and there was a monitor that they had where they could kind of check their work to see how it was going. Um, so there was one person that was in charge of the movements of the nose, and there was two in charge of the eyebrows. There were a lot of people kind of working together to make this happen. They were also saying that um, kind of the mechanisms of some of that kept breaking down, sometimes got kind of violent, and Atreyu was bucked off a few times. <laughs> Uh, but just it just amazes me what how much work it puts into getting things like that to happen for movies. I mean, you if you watch um the kind of the behind the scenes, the movies that made us on Netflix, they talk about the T Rex and Jurassic Park and all that went behind that and how they did some mechanical and then how they did some CGI. It just stuff like that fascinates me. It's very very cool. There is a theme park in Munich. Uh, kind of like a backlot theme park where you can actually ride Falcor if you want. That's kind of fun. 
You need to look it up. The theme park. I I tried. It's all in German, and I could get like every other word. I took about seven years of German, six years of German in middle school and high school. Um, a lot of words I I couldn't pick out, but uh, just some of the pictures are still straight out of the eighties, which are just highly amusing. Steven Spielberg owns the Aaron from the movie, a gift from the movie's director for the legend sharing some friendly advice. So lucky guy, that's a pretty cool gift you get for just, you know, helping him professionally. And the original spawned two sequels. The Neverending Story covers the first half of Michael N's book. I've not read the book. I think I tried at one point, but I was not in the mood for it. I kind of want to go back and see. Um, try again. I know it's a translation because it was written in German. Um but I I think I'd like to go back and try to read it. The first sequel follows the second half of the book. Uh, And then the third in the series has absolutely nothing to do with the books at all. And that concludes our lazy internet research. Are you ready for a spoiler-filled walkthrough of the movie? Ah, That's what we're doing, so I hope so. And I'm laughing because this is actually my second take, because... Right off the bat, I wanted to talk about the theme song. It is my favorite. I love how it kicks off the movie, and I was singing a little, and then I thought, it just can't do that to you, so I had to I had to stop it. I'm just going to read you the lyrics. I'm not going to sing to you. This is how much I appreciate you and care about you, dear listeners. But the lyrics, turn around, look at what you see, yeah, in her face, the mirror of your dreams, whoa, make believe I'm everywhere, hidden in the lines, written on the pages, is the answer to an never-ending story. It's really hard not to do the song, never-ending story. I mean, just classic. And what a good idea to put a sappy beat over the credits so you don't get bored to death. I just love it. I love it. So it's another wake from a dream introduction to one of the main characters. We saw this in Teen Witch. We get this now in the never-ending story. Bastion is obviously a boy from my own heart. You know, the kind that falls asleep reading. But it's a school day, so that's going to make waking up kind of difficult. Before long, he's in the kitchen attempting to make a peanut butter sandwich. He seems to be struggling with this, which is just kind of hard to watch. Um, But he can't get the lid off of the new jar of Skippy. It can be tricky. So lucky his father is there. And from a few context clues, we come to realize that Bastion's mother has passed away. And this is a family in mourning. Dad seems kind of aloof and dismissive of his son who tells him about a dream. He said he dreamed about his mom again. um, And dad was just like, we have to get on with things, right? Maybe not the most compassionate response one would hope for. We can't use mom's death as an excuse for not getting the old job done, right? Dad, despite seeing his son in pain, thinks this is a perfect time to talk about how Bastion is struggling in school. He likes to draw unicorns in his math book, which is just another reason to love him. Apparently, he won't join the swim team and is afraid of horses despite wanting to take riding lessons. I found that interesting, Um, especially when you see that they obviously live in a big city. So where is he going to take these horse riding lessons? Um, And how do they know he's afraid if they've not started the lessons? I always have a lot of questions. So what we're learning, though, is that Bastion is a bit of a disappointment to his father. But Bastion takes this in stride. He agrees to stop daydreaming, uh, wishes his dad goodbye, and then heads to school on his own through the busy streets of some undetermined large city. The kind of sucky morning continues when Bastion is stopped by some local bullies. 
who he seems to be well acquainted with. This seems to be a, a typical run-in. Um, he takes off sprinting, hoping to get away, but instead he gets caught and just immediately tossed into a dumpster. He climbs out only to be found and chased again, which just seems like overkill. Uh, the, these are some juvenile delinquents just roaming these streets, but Bastion hides in an old bookstore as they go running by. And he ends up with this really grumpy owner, bookstore owner, who's sitting in a seat, smoking a pipe and reading. I mean, this guy has the dream life, does he not? Uh, he is just living the life. He owns a bookstore. He just is sitting and just reading all day. I don't know how any books get sold because he just seems very surly. <laughs> kind of love him. The shop owner, Mr. Coriander, makes a snide remark insinuating that Bastion doesn't read, to which our young hero fires back with a list of classics he's made his way through. I mean, far more classics than I have been able to stomach. It is not my thing, and I've come to terms with that. I'm just not going to be a classics reader. This intrigues Coriander, though, who starts to act like a somewhat reasonable human being. Bastion asks him about what book he's been reading. The response, look, your books are safe. By reading them, you get to become Tarzan or Robinson Crusoe, but afterwards you get to be a little boy again. Listen, have you ever been Captain Nemo trapped inside your submarine while the giant squid is attacking you? The ones you read are safe. And that one isn't, Bastion asks him, and he says, don't worry about it. Basically, Coriander is begging Bastion to take this book. Any rambunctious, stubborn book lover would take the book, right? Well, that's exactly what Bastion does. He becomes a shoplifter. He stuffs it in his bag and sprints away, doing exactly what Coriander hoped he would do. But he's a horrible thief because he leaves a note saying he'll return it later. So he's not a horrible thief. He's just a really good kid who wants to read a book. And, and Coriander smiles as he, realizes, he sees this. So Bastion rushes off to school, now very late, and decides he just can't deal with it all, especially with the math, math test he just clearly wasn't ready for and forgot. So he swipes the key to the school attic. He knows exactly where this key is located um, and how to get in. Makes a nest for himself and begins to read. So has he done this before? how is that key still there? How do they have just one single key to get into this attic? How are they protecting the children from this attic? What school has an attic? Did your school have an attic? I don't think my had an attic. At least I didn't know. So how did he know there was one? Again, lots of questions that I have. I would think that if a school had an attic that was easily accessible, they would be losing students to it all the time, just skipping class all of the time. Bastion ran right to it. So he's been there before, I guess. I don't know. But then the story really begins. Our he young hero is now a narrator. He is telling us about the story he's reading, the words he's been reading playing out on the screen. We're in a pretty terrifying forest that sort of resembles the Dagobah system from Star Wars. There's a fancy man in a top hat, a giant snail, a humongous bat, and a strange hairy fellow hiding in a hole in the ground. Let's go back to Fancy Man and uh, Top Hat before. He was looking familiar to me. This was another IMDb moment. And I go, why does he look familiar? And I looked him up. He is the guy who plays the Oompa Loompa in the Charlie and the Cho Chocolate Factory starring Johnny Depp. What? He doesn't actually do the voice in this movie, I don't believe, but it's him as a character. Just fascinating. There's so many people that you see in other things. But it's going to be a good time with this crew. They're, they're minding their own business. Um, 
when they start to hear this noise, a large something is coming right at them. The giant something turns out to be a rock creature riding a rock motorcycle that is moving somehow. It, it could maybe be a very large big wheel with pedals, but there do not appear to be any pedals from the angle we're given. Uh, this will probably bother me for a long time. If you haven't noticed, sometimes I have a hard time letting things go. I just don't know how this rock motorcycle moved at all. Yes, it's probably magic because I know this is a fantastical land, but it just, it didn't make any noise when he stopped. It was just going and then it stopped. See, we're just going to, we're going to move on. Emily, move on. So he stops in the nick of time, just inches from squishing the snail. And he seems to just be looking for some company, which is kind of sweet. He does a lot of groaning before popping a squat um, and starts talking to everybody around. Even though they're tiny, small, they don't seem to be scared of him, which is kind of fun. Turns out he's a cannibal, though, uh, because he gets very excited when he finds some limestone to munch on. So our rock creature eats rocks. When we... Then we get um, kind of the start of the conflict. Poor Rockman is fleeing from the north where all of the rocks have disappeared. <laughs> Maybe because he ate them all. Uh, the land is being devoured by nothing. And the nothing is expanding. There's no other name to it. They just refer to it as the nothing. Fancy Man then chimes in to alert the group that the same thing is happening in the west. And Harry Fellow is fleeing from the nothing in the south. So whatever this nothing is, it's slowly coming towards the center of the country. It seems that our small little crowd is on the same mission. They're all headed towards the ivory tower to see the empress to see if she can help. They decide they've had enough rest time and immediately set out. Like, I don't, I mean, the rock guy just sat down and they're like, nope, get up, let's go. I mean, good thing too, because the nothing is coming quickly. Doesn't seem likely that they would have been able to outrun it with how swiftly it was moving, but the story would be very short if they were Im immediately swallowed up. So they do have our take a moment to gawk at the beauty of the ivory tower while the main score plays. Harry Fellow and his giant bat fly to the top of the tower and they hide out eavesdropping on a secret meeting that seems to be happening. There's no empress but there is a very cool looking bald man with a nice beard who addresses everyone and it's just a very interesting gathering of people. It'd be very fun to explore Fantasia the land that they're in because um, it just seems like Every land you would come to would be a, a different kind of creature, which would be kind of scary, though, I guess. I don't know. Uh, there are some giant heads with no legs. <laughs> they're, they're my favorites. Just giant. They almost look like rocks, sculptured heads, but they have no legs. Um, there is what looks like a Sith Lord in this dark hooded cape. A creature of some sort with Cindy Lauper hair. An elephant, which is unexpected, and a horrifying individual with faces on each side of its head. And that's just to name a few. Fantasia is both very diverse and just absolutely horrifying. Our meeting leader is just there to share some bad news. He doesn't really have anything productive really to do. The poor empress is very ill, somehow linked to the nothing. So basically, there's no hope and everyone's going to die. I mean, he does offer up one sliver of hope. A great warrior from the plains can maybe fight the nothing. His name is Atreyu. Truth time, totally had a crush on Atreyu when I was little. Apparently that's not uncommon, uh, but he was very cute. Dude goes through a lot, but he's got great hair and just a lot of swagger and confidence. We then get a bit of a flashback in the attic where Bastion sang Atreyu's name out loud. Like, he's absolutely captivated. He likes to do that from time to time. Like, all of a sudden, he's like, Atreyu, what is that? 
what's going on? It just, he says random things and they, they do that. I know to make sure that we realize that he's still invested in the story. He's the one telling us the story, but it's sometimes it's funny. Atreyu, a small boy with a lot of confidence, has to convince our meeting leader that he's the great warrior they've been asking for. Uh, he just kind of strides up. He's like, hi, I'm the great warrior. And they're like, no, the great warrior we're looking for is named Atreyu. Well, I'm Atreyu. I mean, dude thinks he's a joke, but backpedals quickly when he starts to leave. Atreyu agrees to the quest to find a cure for the Empress and to save the world. So, you know, child's play. Let's put the fate of this entire world on the shoulders of a young boy. Apparently, there are rules that we're not supposed to understand and which don't make a lot of sense, though. Atreyu has to go alone. Why? I don't know. And he has to leave all of his weapons behind. What's the point of that? Who determined those rules? Did bald guy just make this up? I mean, he's kind of a downer. He doesn't seem to want to save the world at all. So why would they say, you know, go completely unarmed by yourself, go face this nothing, figure it out. But being the great warrior, Atreyu agrees. He's gifted a medallion known as Arin, which is very cool, uh, and sets off on his horse Artex. So he's not totally alone to fight an unknown foe with zero weapons all by himself. Bastion is loving this. I mean, totally getting into the story. The theme music kicks in again. It's fantastic. It is one of the best soundtracks, I think. It's got some really memorable music. So our warrior, he is just heading out across the plains. Before the mood and the weather changes, we get a glimpse of the nothing, who is basically um, includes something that looks very familiar to the Grimm from Harry Potter. The Grimm is not actually the nothing, but he works for the nothing. Uh, and he is intent on finding and killing Atreyu. He does not want Atreyu to find the cure for the Empress. So he starts taking off across the land too. Atreyu and Artex ride for days, traversing very diverse landscapes, unable to find the cure. How would they know what the cure was? <laughs> it was never described. Could they have not passed it in their tra travels? I mean, they're giving given absolutely zero guidance, not sure where to go next. They define, decide they need to find Morla, the ancient one, who of course lives on Shell Mountain in the swamps of sadness. Of course. If you get triggered by very sad things, you might skip ahead 30 seconds because this scene was and always will be devastating. I mean, it just still gets me upset today. So the womp get the womp. The swamp gets too thick to ride through. So Atreyu hops off Artex and starts to pull him through the swamp, mud up to his waist. He has to smell horrible. Apparently, if you let sadness get to you in the swamp of sadness, you get sucked down into its depths. Well, turns out Artex is depressed and starts to sink. Atreyu does his best to pull him out. Uh, he's yelling and screaming, but the horse is just done and is quickly nothing more than just a head above the water. Atreyu just keeps yelling and screaming and crying and begging, but he just watches his friend disappear. So that happened. <laughs> It's so sad. And this dude just has to be very sad. It's so sad. How did he not just immediately get sucked down too? I mean, I would have. I, I just, I sadly just lost a pet and I would have just immediately gotten sucked down into the swamps of sadness. But th this guy must have been made of sterner stuff than I am. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Bastion is having a hard time with the loss. Probably not a great scene for a kid who is still mourning the loss of his mother. That had to be hard for him to read. Atreyu, being the great warrior, powers on through the swamp, though, until he finds the Shell Mountain. He attempts to climb onto it, but is bucked off, and then he decides to it's best to climb a nearby tree. Back on Earth, the tension of the situation is getting to Bastion, who just starts screaming. 
And somehow Atreyu hears them and Bastion is able to read about his scream in the book. So things are getting interesting. Turns out Morla looks like a giant turtle. He starts talk he talks slowly, refers to itself as we might have gone crazy being alone for thousands of years, and is generally uninterested in the state of the world. It also appears that he has some allergies and does a lot of sneezing. So now Atreyu isn't only covered in the mud and gunk of the swamp swamps of sadness, but just not as well. Reason and the threat of death doesn't seem to be enough to get the Ancient One to assist, but it's willing to pawn off the great warrior on the Southern Oracle several thousand miles away. The story is then abruptly interrupted with the end of school. Bastion sneaks out of his hidey hole just in time to see the entire school, including like a janitor or a male teacher at the back of the crowd, leave right after the bell. Curious. Seriously, the bell just rang. Everybody left at once and almost immediately immediately the lights get turned off there doesn't seem to be any extracurriculars happening at the school the teachers don't hang around to get some extra work done it's like nope that day is done let's just go you would think that he would grab his stuff too and leave and go home and finish the book at home but passion's like nope i just i I can't go anywhere i have to stay in this creepy dusty attic to see what happens with the treyu and fantasia another observation as the students and janitor were running out of the building (laughs) the end of the day there was most definitely sunshine outside by the time bastion gets back up to the attic there's a freak thunderstorm thunderstorms are scary in the movies they just they come so quickly the attic is not an ideal location for riding out inclement weather so it's just it's like oh sunshine nope now it's rainy when we return to atreyu he's pretty defeated his horse is dead the ancient one is unhelpful and the only hope he has is thousands of miles away again how come he doesn't get sucked down into the swamps? He He's also got the nothing after him. I mean, close on his tail. Gmork, the, the, the Grim, is coming after him. Just when all hope seems lost and he's about to be devoured, he reaches up and grabs hold of the leg of a luck dragon, Falcor, who flies him out of the swamps just in the nick of time. There was an interesting question that was brought up um, among some weirdos I know. The question is, does the luck dragon give you luck? Are you lucky to have met the luck dragon? I kind of think it's the same thing. Um, tomatoes, tomatoes. Because uh, you are lucky to have met him. But he's bringing you luck, getting you out of the situation. I don't know. You should tell me what you think. Is he lucky or are you lucky for knowing him? And of course, Falcor brings him to the exact location he needed to be. I mean, it's lucky indeed. Well, he's sort of there. He ends up at the home of a pretty fantastic couple who argue just about as good as Miracle Max and Valerie and the Princess Bride. They also have spectacular names, Engiwook and Urgle. <laughs> I love that. Uh, to say they're eccentric would be an understatement. Eng- Engiwook is a scholar of the oracles. He gets very excited in, into his work. Urgle, on the other hand, and who is incidentally, I told you we would talk about Willow again the night yes i did is actually fen Rizil from willow so we have bavmorda and fen Rizil, the two witches ugh, in movies that i've watched in the 80s a movie that um i know it's it's not popular to love it i don't think i don't think many people love willow but i do so ugh, 
this is kind of awesome. Well, anyway, Urgel <laughs> likes to make concoctions in the kitchen. Turns out it's not as simple as just dreading up to the Southern Oracle and asking for help. There are two deadly gates that you have to go through to get there first. You go through first to get there. The first is flanked by some sphinx-like statues with wings who shoot lasers out of their eyes. Ingiwook drops the bomb that no one ever really makes it past the first gate. The lasers come out when the person trying to pass doesn't feel their self-worth. They don't feel like they deserve to be crossing through there. For, so for a guy that just came out of the swamps of sadness, it seems like a doomsday scenario. They actually watch a fella in armor right up. I don't know who that guy was, what his story was, um, but he rides up to the sphinxes, starts to go through, and then he gets blasted by the laser eyes. But it, Atreyu isn't deterred and runs headlong towards the danger, just like everybody else in all of the movies. Doesn't think twice, just goes. Things go pretty well when he first arrives at the Sphinxes. He takes some tentative steps into laser range, but it doesn't look like they take notice. So he's, he's feeling his self-worth, but the further he gets through, he starts to notice that their eyes start to open, which you know means lasers and death. Well, that just sends his confidence into a spile. Angie, Wilk, and Bastion both start yelling at him to be confident, be confident. But that doesn't seem to be happening or helping. So Atreyu just takes off at a sprint with the last second leaps, making out, making it out of the end range of the laser eyes. So he survived. Angie, Wilk is both excited and terrified. The next gate is the magic mirror, apparently, and Atreyu has to face his true self, which sends most men into an existential crisis. Will you do, do you know or remember what Atreyu sees in the mirror? He sees Bastion. Weird. Well, Atreyu seems, to, seems fine by the encounter, but our human boy, he gets up from his attic hidey hole and throws the book across the room. It always makes me think of, um, I, I don't think I've ever thrown a book well, I know I haven't because I'm a great lover and protector of books. Um, but the episode of Friends when Joey gets upset and puts books in the freezer, I kind of think of that. Like if he had a freezer, he would have tucked the book in the freezer, closed the door and felt safe from it for a little while. Uh, kind of wish we got to hear the words that Bastion was reading, though. I think that would have been very interesting how it appeared to him on the page that Atreyu saw him. Did they say his name specifically, or did they just say an earth boy? That would have been interesting. And then he mutters, this is going too far. But boy, does that kid know how to glare. He kind of glares at the book. But it takes him a whole five seconds to get over it, though, and is just too curious to give up the story. So back in Fantasia, Atreyu climbs into the mirror and ends up back at some sphinxes. But this group of busty statues is blue and chatty. They're actually going to talk. The Southern Oracle, you know, of course they look like the other gate. Things to know. One, they are clairvoyant and have been waiting for him to arrive, apparently. Two, their solution to the nothing is to give the Empress a new name. Three, but no one from Fantasia can do it. Only a human child. Wink, wink, Bastion. Four, and it seems that talking gives them anxiety and they just start to crumble. So their faces start to come off. Um, Atreyu now has the news he needs and he goes running off calling for Falcor, who takes him back into the skies looking for the boundaries of Fantasia, looking for a human child. And we are gifted with one of the best scenes in the movie best scenes. It's clearly a puppet Falcor flying through the sky, it's awe inspiring. 
did anyone else want a luck dragoness pet? I, I probably anybody watched this one at a luck dragoness pet. I mean, a giant dog with scales that can fly. That is also known as the perfect animal. Maybe I don't know. Bastion is now standing at the window, looking pensively into the sky, talking aloud to himself. He wishes they would ask him because he would use his mother's name. And that's that's very sweet. That's so sweet and kind of sad. I mean, the poor kid needs a qualified adult to talk to. Sadly, just as he settles back in to finish the story, the nothing has found Atreyu and Falcor. Atreyu loses his grip on the luck dragon, not so lucky after all, maybe, and falls onto a beach. Not sure how he got there and how he didn't die, but somewhere during the fall, he loses Auron. Then he noticed some prints. <laughs> then he notices some prints in the sand, which <laughs> the first thing I was like, oh, those aren't Jesus's prints. But a creature's. Uh, it kind of looks like paw prints. So it's hard to tell if he follows them or goes his own way, but. He walks off the beach and he encounters our giant rock creature from the beginning of the movie. Poor rock giant is depressed because he couldn't save his friends from the nothing. Uh, they slipped through his fingers, he kept saying. And they have a bit of a pity party before the nothing arrives and the world starts to crumble. Atreyu then hikes up to some ruins that have pictographs of his entire journey. Not sure how they got there or, or where he's supposed to be in the grand scheme of things. But that's when the Grim rears its scary head. By Grim, I mean Gamork, the, the wolf-like creature, the Grimmy Gamork. He's the nightmare that terrifies small children. He's got bloody, sharp teeth, a low, rough voice, green eyes. It's pretty clear he wants to kill and, I assume, eat Atreyu. And as the nothing approaches, Gamork tells him that Fantasia is the world of human fantasy. So there's no edge, no boundaries, pretty much eliminating any chance of finding a human. The world is crumbling because humans are losing hope. The nothing is the emptiness left where there is no hope. Gamoric is helping the nothing because he wants power and people without hope are easy to manipulate. Well, Atreyu still has some of his confidence from the Oracle and eggs on Gamork, who launches himself at the Great Warrior armed with a shard that was randomly sitting next to him. Atreyu, um, you know, stabs him. The Great Warrior wins, but the nothing is too close. You, I kind of... It's a, you, you thought there would have been more of a fight after all of that, but it happens all very quickly. They, they don't give a lot of time and effort to Gamork. Um, so that's kind of, it was, ends up being a bit of a letdown. Meanwhile, Falcor, <laughs> Falcor is swimming. He takes a swim and he manages to find the Auron underwater. As the nothing sweeps across the land, Atreyu clings to another tree and has a moment very similar to the end of the movie Twister, where his whole body is lifted off the ground. Our lucky luck dragon saves the day again and finds him just as the nothing destroys everything. So now they're just floating in space among some chunks of Fantasia. But you see, the world is never completely without hope. Atreyu uses the Auron to help guide him into the, to the one piece of civilization that survived, the Ivory Tower floating on its own asteroid still glowing and still beautiful and i do believe the theme music has to play anytime someone approaches the ivory tower because it comes back off topic valcor has legs do you think he can walk we never see him walk but it feels like he should be able to but he just is always just kind of laying there what are his legs for then if he can't walk at all how does he take off 
I guess if he can't use his legs... I'm sorry, got distracted again with more unanswerable questions, probably. Back to the story. Atreyu walks into the tower and finds the Empress sitting alone in a seashell. She asks him why he looks so sad. Duh, lady, the world is gone. He hands her Arin and apologizes for failing, but she gives him a sly smile. She tells him that he did succeed because he brought the human child with him. Now Bastion is starting to look especially concerned. Actually, he's pretty darn indignant. The more he denies that he's the one they're talking about, the closer the nothing gets to destroying the ivory tower. So the Empress starts to spell it out for him by describing how he was chased and hid in the bookstore, then how he became a thief and swiped the book, that he's reading his own story right now. That's still not enough. So she has to just let go of all subtlety and spell it out for him. Bastion, why don't you do what you dream? Bastion, call my name. Bastion, please save us. So he runs to an open window with rain pouring in. This window doesn't like to stay shut. How has the school never noticed that they probably have a serious mold situation going on in their attic? And he just yells gibberish. If you do a little internet sleuthing, you find out what he re- he actually yells. I always thought it was going to be his mother's name. Um, but he ends up yelling Moonchild, but uh, that'd be awesome if his mom was named Moonchild. That would be very cool. My closed captions just said yelling. Um, so kind of incoherent. I wish we could have understood him a, a little better. And then Bastion is sitting in the darkness with the Empress and she gives him a wish. The wish is to give him hope and the hope is to save Fantasia. Now, this kid knows how to wish. He wishes to ride Falcor and see the world of Fantasia, which has been completely restored, and then wishes for Falcor to help him get the best of his bullies by chasing them down through the city streets. What I love so much about that scene is that they actually show other people terrified of seeing this monster creature flying through the streets. Uh, so it wasn't a magical moment where just the bullies could see him. Everybody could see this luck dragon, and I, I just love that. And then the movie abruptly ends. Bastion had many other wishes and had many other amazing adventures before he finally returned to the ordinary world. But that's another story. Now, as a kid growing up, we had this taped on a VHS tape. And we had, I think it was a free weekend with HBO. So immediately after NeverEnding Story ended, we didn't even get the whole theme song at the end. The Muppets Take Manhattan started, so now whenever I watch The NeverEnding Story, I must immediately put on The Muppets Take Manhattan because in my head, it's the perfect pair. They go together. <laughs> Sorry. But back to that ending briefly. It always bothered me that there were some things that never got cleared up. Many other amazing adventures are referenced, right? Was this a Narnia situation where he returned home just a moment after he left? If that's the case, at what point is that where does his father think he was all day and night did he check in with him at all i mean i know he's not the father of the year but surely bastion would have checked in with him right or he would have gotten the cops out looking for him and if fantasia has no boundaries how did falcor make it to the real world i think i i probably just need to read the book i know i don't believe that falcor actually ended up you know flying down city streets in the in the book process probably but just curious let's take a look at characters for a little bit they actually do quite a bit with character development despite the oddness of the creatures and there are quite a few creatures or characters in the movie as well 
While some follow-up would have been nice between Bastion and his father, their only scene together really sets up quite a bit as previously mentioned. With just a few lines, you realize that they're both pretty sad and still trying to find their way through living alone together after the loss of Bastion's mom. Bastion plays the nerdy book lover, always at the end of the bully's fist, where Atreyu plays the great warrior, the chosen one, the potential savior who is afraid of nothing. So you have a boy with no confidence and a boy with complete confidence. The rest of the story is peppered with individuals who are only present to move the story along or serve as an obstacle. You've got the rock biter, teeny weeny, and the night hob. They set the stage that something horrible is happening in Fantasia. Our text brings a sad beat, stripping the great warrior of his only friend. Falcor appears to get Atreyu from one location to the next. Gamork is the villain always on the hero's tail. Morla points him in the right direction. Angiwook fills in the gaps. The Empress is the end goal. And of course, Coriander sets the whole thing in motion. They might be there just to move the story along, but they all do their job really well with unique personalities. I, I wish we could have spent some more time with some of them. That might've been good. And I'm sure you do get to do that in the movie, but, or in the book, but, um, Overall, they're all unique characters, which I really enjoy. As for the plot, when it comes to storytelling, it's a story about grief and hope and the power of imagination. All begins with a boy who feels beaten down. He's just lost his mother, and he's also the target of some pretty persistent bullying. Trying to get him away, trying to get away from them, he stumbles into Coriander's bookstore. While the owner seems surly, he immediately understands that the boy needs an adventure. Enter the never-ending story, which also moves us out of the exposition and into the conflict. Fantasia, an imaginary land, is under attack by a force so powerful that it is literally destroying the world. There is one that can save it, but it won't be easy. Rising action, Atreyu, the great warrior, rides across the land looking for the cure to stop the force known as the Nothing facing obstacle after obstacle. Meanwhile, Bastion is starting to discover that he's not only reading the book, he's playing a role in the story. Climax, the nothing spreads until Fantasia is no more save the ivory tower where the empress of the land sits alone, waiting for Bastion to realize that it's not Atreyu who can save him, but himself. She pleads and begs, and at the last moment, Atreyu names the or Bastion names the, interest, the empress Moonchild, and then uses his imagination, falling action, and conclusion to rebuild the diverse world with all of its interesting characters. Looking at the storytelling elements really brings the life lesson to the surface. Imagination is a powerful thing. It fuels creativity. It brings hope. It encourages empathy. And it's good for the soul. It's why libraries create play areas in their kids' sections filled with toys and costumes. We learn through imagination, through play. It makes our world bigger, bigger and more diverse. When a world fueled by imagination is on the brink of destruction, it's a small boy's ability to dream that saves it from ruin. I can't help but feel like this particular story is maybe also a love story to books and adventure. Bastion gets what every book nerd dream nerd dreams of, the ability to take part in the tale. Stories are powerful and enduring. They can change your life, shape your childhood, and follow you into adulthood. There's something pure about imagination. It, innocent or exciting. It's why grown humans sport Harry Potter house colors and wait in long lines to pick out their wands at Universal Studios years after the last book was published because we get just a peek of what Bastion gets in the never-ending story to enter the pages of a beloved tale and go on an adventure. We lose that sometimes as we go into an adulthood, which really makes me sad. And it's the thing that I think really 
draws me to books as a reader. I don't read necessarily to see myself in the characters, but I read to step out of my life for a little bit and go on an adventure. And and I just I think it's a beautiful thing. And I, I think it gets pushed aside for other what or at least what people think are bigger priorities, but the power of ima- imagination, it does fuel you and it fills you and um, it gives you rest in a way that I think is just completely underrated. All right, for character recasting, no recasting necessary. I was just surprised to see so many familiar faces that I hadn't recognized the first 100 times I've watched the movie. Man, boy, do I love IMDb. Does this or did this need a sequel? As big as my crush was on Jonathan Brandis, no, I don't think this needed a sequel. There was something hopeful and open-ended with the last line about Bastion having other adventures that I think you lost a little once the other ones came out. Rewatchability? Um, absolutely. It's not the happiest story, happiest of stories, but when you're in the mood for nostalgia, it's an easy go-to. When I think of 80s kids movies, this is one of the first ones that pop into my head. So what do you think of The NeverEnding Story? Does it make your short list of favorite 80s kids movies? But that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you would, and so kind of you, to rate and review the podcast preferably if it's nice. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at gnomegirlm and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you next time.